Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As we approach the task of preaching this morning, let us bow our hearts and our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray for your spirit to be in this place, that you open up our hearts, our eyes, our ears, and our minds to your word, that through your word we may see your loving heart for us. We ask this in the name of your Son, our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. This morning we're going to tackle the topic and the idea of the last day, end times. And we're going to do that by looking at all three readings, the Old Testament, the New Testament, and the Gospel, because all three readings have a common thread through them, and that is the fact that they're all talking about the last day. Now, I would suggest to you that Christians are not the only ones who are intrigued by the last day. No, Hollywood has poured millions and millions and millions and perhaps even billions of dollars into visually depicting for us what the last day is going to be like. And for them, it's usually comets coming and plummeting to earth. It's usually storms wiping out entire cities. It's fireballs flashing in your eyes, or it's the entire planet being blown to smithereens. Yeah, Christians aren't the only ones that are intrigued by this. Which makes you think, where did the Hollywood producers, or culture at large, where did they get their idea of the last day being doom and gloom? Do you think it was just an idea that they had in, in their head that then went on to a script and be, it became this action-packed movie plot? Or do you think that they derived it from somewhere? See, I'm going to suggest this morning that they derive not all, but some of it from the Bible. So let's take a second to look at the three readings. The Old Testament, Amos chapter 5. Our friend Amos has some things to say about the last day. He's, his version, his vision, his image of the last day starts with a stark warning. It says, woe to you if you even desire the day of the Lord. It's going to be darkness and not light. And I say that as a very eerie way to begin the topic of the day of the, the Lord. Perhaps even, even creepy, scary. Darkness is, is scary. But he goes on. It gets even worse. He says the day of the Lord is going to be like a man who is fleeing from a lion and then gets mauled by a bear. Or maybe he escapes the bear, goes into the house, leans against the wall, and then gets bit by a snake. It's, it's almost tragic in how it's un unveiled to, to us. No matter what that poor man could do or what he couldn't do, there is no escaping the day of the Lord. And he ends it with this summary here. Isn't the day of the Lord darkness and not light, gloom with no brightness? Or as the NIV puts it, isn't the day of the Lord darkness and not light? It's pitch dark without a ray of brightness. Do you get the picture? Doom. Gloom, 
darkness. It's as if the Hollywood producers were reading Amos 5 when they planned out their movies. So if that's the way that Amos talks about it, how does Paul talk about it? Well, it's intriguing because the Christians living in Thessalonica were actually also yearning for the day of the Lord like Amos' people were. But what's maybe perplexing to us is the way that Paul answers it versus the way that Amos answers it. Paul says we need to be like this little guy on, on the screen here. This little guy on the screen right here. It's going to be joyous. It's going to be amazing. It's going to encourage us. Did you get any encouragement from reading Amos 5? Yeah, me neither. But he goes on to say what the day of the Lord is going to be like. Jesus is going to descend down in all of his glory, surrounded by angels. We're going to hear trumpets. Your loved ones are going to be raised from the dead out of the grave with their physical bodies. Does that sound like doom and gloom to you? In fact, does it sound like they're even talking about the last day? If they're even talking about the same day? You see, Paul talks about the day of the Lord as encouragement for us. So, the question is, if Amos is talking about the day of the Lord being a shake-in-your-boots kind of day, and Paul's talking about it as being encouraging, how do we reconcile the two accounts? If they're talking about the same thing, and we're coming from the vantage point that the Bible is true and trustworthy, which we are, how are they talking about the same day? Well, I think the answer lies in the question, to whom are Paul and Amos writing to? We know that Amos was a prophet sent to the Old Testament people of Israel, and like many of the prophets, he was called to bring judgment to the people of Israel. You see, the people of Israel during Amos' day were living during a time of great prosperity. They were living during a time of an economic upturn. And this economic upturn is unlike anything that they've seen since King Solomon. They were winning their military battles. They were sieging and plundering their enemies. They were experiencing luxuries that generations before them had not even seen. And because of this, because of this, because of this economic upturn, they thought they were in God's good graces. As if an economic upturn tells us that we're in God's good graces. But with this economic upturn came this spiritual downturn for the Israelites. What started as worshiping the one true God, Yahweh, turned into bowing down before idols. What started as pursuing the commands of God turned into pursuing the desires and the passions of their own heart. What started as caring for the poor and the needy turned in for them pleasing their own personal gratifications. 
It was the cliche that on the outside the Israelites were thriving, but on the inside they were deteriorating. It's as if the Israelites forgotten, had forgotten what God had said to Samuel. That man looks on the outside, but God looks at the heart. And their heart was anything but pursuing God. You see, Amos was talking to people who needed the law. Amos was talking to people who had a heart problem, and they didn't care that they had a heart problem. We have a theological term for this. I'm sure you've heard it. It's unrepentant sinners. Amos was talking to people who were unrepentant sinners. Amos was talking to people who were sinning, didn't care that they were sinning. They had no feeling of remorse or a need to repent. They were secure in their sinning. And the ironic part is that though they were secure in their sinning, the relationship with God was very insecure. Amos was talking to people who needed to be shaken from their wicked ways. Is there anything that you need to be shaken from this morning? Is there anything wicked in your life that you need to be shaken from? I would suggest that we're not a whole lot like the people of Israel. For we are here worshiping the one true God. We're not bowing down physically before physical false idols. But then again, perhaps we are a, a, a little bit like them. Perhaps we're experiencing an economic upturn in our life, and it's causing us to stray away from our trust in God. Perhaps we're experiencing an economic downturn in our life, and it's causing us to stray away from our trust in God. Perhaps we're comfortable and stagnant in our lives, and it's causing us to be stagnant in our faith, and it's causing us to stray away from our trust in God. If this is you, or if you have any other sin that you don't think you need to repent of, hear the words of Amos. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. It will be for you as if you were fleeing from a lion and then a bear attacked you. If you, you were leaning up against a wall and a snake bit you. There's nothing that you can do to avoid the day of the Lord. You're thinking, Victor, you're getting heated up, up here. That's right, getting heated for Jesus. So if Amos was talking to people who were secure in their sinning, who was Paul talking to? Because Paul's version of the last day was, ooh, exciting, joyous, something that should encourage us. Well, Paul was talking to the Christians living in Thessalonica who seemed to have a misunderstanding of the day of the Lord. You see, they thought that Jesus was coming soon and very soon. So soon, in fact, that they thought that he was coming in their generation. So when people started dying around them, they had some questions. For example, what's going to happen to them? Did they, did they somehow die too early? Are they going to stay dead forever? Is the last day even going to matter to the people who are dead? They had lots of questions. And it is in this situation that Paul 
brings his words of comfort. You see, Amos was talking to people who were too comfortable, too comfortable in their sinning. Paul was talking to people who lack comfort. And he begins with the basics. That he doesn't want them to grieve like people who have no hope, who have no hope of the bodily resurrection. For if God the Father raised Jesus Christ of Nazareth from the grave, so too will he raise those who have died. And I love this next verse. It says that we who are alive will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Sleep. That's what death is to God. The God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is so powerful that death is nothing but sleep to him. Paul was writing to Christians who need comfort. Are you like the people living in Thessalonica? Are you lacking hope and comfort? Do you know someone who has experienced the sting of death? Are people around you being swallowed up by death? Has death confronted you with the seemingly finality that it has? If this is you, please listen to the words of Paul. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. We will always be with the Lord. Words of hope. Seven words strung together that give us hope that pierce right through death as it is light piercing the uttermost darkness. So we tackled the Old Testament. Amos talking to people who needed the law. We tackled the New Testament. Paul talking to people who needed comfort. What does the gospel have to say? What does the gospel have to say about the end times? Well, in short, the gospel tells us what we should do in the meantime. That while we are waiting for Christ to return, what should we do? And in fact, it says that, that we should wait. We should wait eagerly to see when Christ will return. Because who knows, Jesus may return right now. Or not. Maybe not. Seems like we have some time to kill until Jesus gets back. How much time? We don't know. But in the meantime, go practice your faith. Go love your neighbor. Make sure your neighbor isn't lonely for the holiday season. Go bring your neighbor a plate of brownies. Invite them out for a cup of coffee. Or if they're of legal age and it seems appropriate, go have a beer with them. Invite them over for, for dinner. Love your neighbor. Be strengthened by the word. Be strengthened by the sacraments. Because we know for those who are covered by the blood of the Lamb, and that's what we are, we are covered by the blood of the Lamb, we have nothing to fear about the second coming. For us, the words of Paul ring true. We're going to close the sermon with those words. 
Paul says, we will always be with the Lord. Come soon, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you do come soon. That you send your son to come rid this world of death. That you send your son to come rid this world of grieving, of all types of sin. But Lord, in the meantime, empower us and embolden us to go love our neighbor, to go do good for your kingdom. We ask this in the name of your Son, our Savior. Amen.